You know, my name is Bill <laughs> S. Preston, and we are Wild Stallions. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was a Texas soldier who became a trailblazer in the development of the Alaska Territory and later led American troops in the intervention into the Russian Civil War. This week we talk about Wilds Richardson and the Polar Bear Expedition. But first, what's your favorite Texas snow moment? I'm going to just say that I didn't really see a lot of snow being from the kind of Houston... Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi area, I never saw snow. And... But, um, I, you know, I remember when I came to college with you guys, there was actually like a little bit of like a light dusting of ice and snow. And there were a lot of kids at UTD with us who hadn't seen snow. And I remember um, like jumping in a laundry basket and trying to slide down a hill and thinking <laughs> that, wow. And then years later, when I actually have been to, you know, Colorado or Canada or even, you know, uh, Ohio and having seen like large scale drifts of snow being like, oh, this is snow. But again, but probably, well, and, and that would be, this is my second favorite. My first favorite would probably be when I saw, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back as a child in a movie theater. That was really my first exposure to what snow could really be. Well, that's true. Um, probably my favorite snow moment uh, would be, I think it was about 10 years ago. It's whatever year we had the snow here that basically shut everything down for two weeks. And, um, I went for a walk through my neighborhood out by the school and stuff, and it was just so peaceful. It was it was right at dusk, and um, all the snow was undisturbed, so it was just like pure white everywhere. And I don't think I had ever gone on a walk that was so quiet and uh, just peaceful. So that was pretty cool. Um, doesn't happen very much here. Yeah. I think that was 2008, wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember exactly what year it was, um, but uh, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds took me, snowy. Uh, it, it took me two weeks to get the ice melted from my driveway because I have a north facing house. I had a north facing house, and the sun never got to the driveway. Uh, so for me, it was one Christmas. It's probably about 1981 or so. Um, we woke up Christmas morning in Wink, which is far west Texas, where my dad's family's from, and my grandmother lives, and uh, we. W- went outside and there was over a foot of snow on the ground uh, Christmas morning. So it was truly a white Christmas in the desert. Uh, <laughs> we have lots of pictures. We built a snowman and uh, it was one of the few times we actually had real genuine snow. It wasn't ice. It was actually fluffy snow. So it's really cool. That's a really sweet moment. Yeah. Wilds Preston Richardson was born on March 20th, 1861 in Hunt County, Texas, near present day Greenville. His parents were Oliver Preston and Hester Richardson, a farming family. Richardson attended Hunt County Schools, and in 1880, he was awarded an appointment to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Richardson was a big, raw-boned boy, and a military career was all he wanted in life. After graduating in 1884, he was commissioned a second lieutenant in the 8th United States Cavalry, serving in California and at various posts on the western frontier, including Apache Territory. Richardson returned to West Point as an instructor in 1892, where he held this appointment for six years. In August of 1897, Richardson was assigned back into the field, 
reporting to the Alaska Territory, an assignment that lasted for over 20 years. In many ways, Alaska was the last frontier, and along with Canada's Yukon Territory, was experiencing a massive gold rush. Alaska itself was the gateway to the Yukon gold fields, and the population was expanding faster than the territory's infrastructure could support. His experience, both in the West and as an instructor at West Point, helped him perform a variety of tasks, from surveying to civil administration. Richardson's duties in the Alaska Territory included the selection of sites for and oversight of construction of American military posts. In 1898 and 1899, he was senior captain in the territory, and the troops under his command took on the task of maintaining civil order in the mining towns and the ports when local authorities could not do so. He was appointed president of the Alaska Roads Commission in March 1905 and directed the extensive federal road construction project to build hundreds of miles of wagon roads and trails throughout the territory. His biggest project was supervising the building of a 380-mile road from Valdez on the southern Alaskan coast to Fairbanks in the interior. In recognition of his efforts, the road was later named the Richardson Trail. Richardson's work in Alaska was commended by a succession of secretaries of war, and he became the U.S. government's expert on Alaska and on cold weather operations. During his time in the North, Richardson rose through the ranks to captain in 1898, major in 1904, lieutenant colonel in 1911, and finally colonel in 1914. When America became involved in the First World War in April 1917, Richardson was promoted to brigadier general and finally transferred out of Alaska. He was appointed to the command of the 78th Infantry Brigade, 39th Division, then at Camp Beauregard, Louisiana, in March 1918. The division arrived at Brest, France on September 3, 1918. This division served as a depot division, and they worked in the rear in training supply and support role, providing replacement troops for frontline combat units, though some of the regiments participated in some closing movements of the war. After the armistice, the division began sending troops home or were assigned to occupation duty. However, even though the fighting was done on the Western Front, it wasn't over for the Allies. Russia, which had been an Allied power before the 1917 revolution, took them out of the war, was in the throes of civil war between the Bolshevik communists and their internal enemies. The Western Allies saw the Red Communists as a threat to international order, and they sent troops to various parts of the country in order to intervene on the part of the Whites, and these were the anti-Bolshevik forces. President Woodrow Wilson committed American troops to the intervention, ordering them to Vladivostok in the far east of Russia and to the far northern ports of Murmansk and Arkhangelsk on the White Sea not far from the Arctic Circle. The American Expeditionary Force sent to northern Russia became known as the Polar Bear Expedition. This consisted of troops from the U.S. Army's 85th Division, which had left their training camp at Camp Custer, Michigan, for the Western Front in France around the same time as Richardson's 39th Division. Instead, troops from the 339th Infantry Regiments, as well as engineers and support troops from the 85th, were separated out in England and equipped with cold-weather gear in order to serve in the winter climate of Russia where they arrived in September of 1918. They were designated the American North Russia Expeditionary Force, or ANREF, and they served under British command, guarding Allied stores in the ports and supporting white forces against the Bolsheviks. 
The fighting over the winter of 1918 and into 1919 was nightmarishly harsh for everyone involved, even the Russians. It is estimated that the Bolsheviks lost between two and 4,000 troops from frostbite and hypothermia alone. During their time in North Russia, the American forces suffered more than 500 casualties, including at least 110 deaths from battle, about 30 missing in action, and 70 deaths from disease, 90% of which were caused by the Spanish flu, and more than 300 were wounded, though much of that was frostbite. After the Allied armistice with Germany on November 11, 1918, family members and friends of the ANRAF soldiers began writing letters to newspapers and their representatives asking for the immediate return of American troops from Russia. They had been sent to fight the Germans in France, not the Russians in Russia. At the same time, morale among the American troops plummeted. They were fully aware of the change in their mission and of the armistice on the Western Front. At this point, the port of Archangelsk was now frozen solid and closed to shipping, and the Bolsheviks were steadily gaining strength despite the terrible weather. The men would ask their officers for the reason they were fighting Bolshevik soldiers in Russia, and they wouldn't get an answer other than that they had to fight to survive and avoid being pushed into the Arctic Ocean. Early in 1919, morale reached the point where mutiny was feared. In February, President Wilson directed the War Department to begin planning the expedition's withdrawal from northern Russia. In March 1919, four American soldiers in the 339th Infantry actually drew up a petition protesting their presence in Russia and were threatened with court-martial proceedings as a result. Army Commander General John J. Pershing knew that something had to be done in order to ensure an orderly withdrawal of American troops from Russia. Fortunately, he had a general officer in France who had extensive experience in the extreme conditions and was a good and popular soldier, Wilds Richardson. Richardson arrived in Arkhangelsk aboard the icebreaker Canada on April 17, 1919, with orders from General Pershing to organize a coordinated withdrawal of the American troops at the earliest possible moment. His first task was to deal with morale. He made it clear that they, the Americans, would be leaving in an orderly fashion, and he worked with his British and French counterparts to resolve the messy command situation. All the American troops reported only to him from that point on, which actually resolved a great deal of the tension. On May 26, 1919, British volunteers to relieve the American troops arrived. In early June, most of the American troops sailed for France and then for home. During the withdrawal, the men of the ANREF started calling themselves polar bears, and they were authorized to wear the polar bear insignia on their left sleeve. The ANREF was officially disbanded on August 5, 1919. Richardson proved a very popular commander with his men, and his actions in Russia earned him the Army Distinguished Service Medal. He also wrote several articles about the expeditions and the hardships it faced. After the war, Richardson returned to his peacetime rank of colonel, and on October 31, 1920, he retired from the Army. He drew upon, drawing upon his experience, he wrote and published an article, Alaska, in the January 28th edition of the Atlantic Monthly. This essay called for government incentives to attract settlers to the territory, for increased territorial home rule, and for intensified advertising of Alaska as a tourist and sportsman's attraction. Richardson wanted to see the territory settled and developed gradually and rationally rather than in a way that would either thoughtlessly exploit its natural resources or prohibit their development. Richardson lived at the Army-Navy Club of Washington, D.C. for the remainder of his life, dying in Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, on May 20, 1929. He was buried at West Point. 
Richardson's life is little known in his home state of Texas, but he has several honors in his adopted state of Alaska, including an army base as well as the trail he helped to blaze, which is now known as the Richardson Highway. What an incredible guy. Yeah. So, given his uh, origins, where he's from in Texas, uh, is he related to uh, however uh, the town of Richardson was named? I can't really find any information about that. Richardson was actually founded in the 1850s, so it, uh, uh, it's quite a bit before his, his time. Um, yeah, I'm just saying... It's possible they're the, distantly related. They, they could be distantly related. Yeah, I just... That the connection is interesting there. I was just curious yeah. if any of that had been uncovered in your research. Yeah, um, not a lot, not a lot. Uh, you know, the interesting thing I also felt was that you know we talked about the Four Corners area of North Texas during during <laughs> and after the Civil War, and he's born in 1861 uh, in near Greenville, which is right in those one of those counties that that was uh, had a lot of Unionist sentiment. So I don't know if he necessarily had uh, his family had Unionist sentiment or if they were Confederates, but uh, he definitely, uh, you know, for a, for someone who is a with a farming background and his family is a farmers, to get a West Point appointment was was something pretty, you know, he had to be kind of politically connected to get that. So, yeah, maybe there's something there. Well, and it just shows his character that you know he, uh, boy, once he was in, he just did great. Like he was just he was one of those yeah born to soldier, born to lead. Yeah. I mean, and he effectively served he effectively served from eighteen eighty to nineteen twenty. So he served for forty years, basically. Which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. That's that's incredible. It's crazy too that uh, you know, we think of <clears throat> you think of like the Texas um we think of Texas in, in this time period of just how wild and woolly it is. Um, but the thought of like Alaska in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like well, well it, I mean, he was born. I mean, they named him Wilds. I mean, what yeah. kind of what the, life is that was he greatest, destined to have? Is that not the greatest Texas name ever, Wilds? <laughs> well, I think his middle name's Preston. I saw why you know when I see Wilds Preston Richardson, and I just I, I jump right to Bill and Ted. You know, my name is Bill <laughs> S. Preston, and we are Wilds Stallions. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a pretty amazing story to, you know, he's, he had, he had two, you know, significant chapters in his life. He actually had several, you know, he served for several years as a cavalryman. And, and if you see a picture of this guy, he's a big guy. I mean, he looks like a big burly guy. So imagine this guy riding a horse, you know, chasing down Apaches in New Mexico or Arizona. Um, you know, he served in the cavalry, famous eighth United States cavalry. Then he was a West Point instructor uh, for several years, for six years. Uh, and then, then they send him to Alaska and he stays there for 20 years and like, go to Alaska, figure it out. <laughs> well, what gets me is he's in Alaska for 20 years and then they, then they call him back to Camp Beauregard, Louisiana. And it's like, yeah. how miserable, <laughs> like if you had to pick two different things of, well, I was in Alaska and it's, it's cold and it's, it's crisp. And then it's like, I'm going to put you in the swamp and yeah, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> There's no air conditioning back then. Yeah, go go to the swamp and train these boys. Oh my gosh! So I must say, he in the photo on his uh, Wikipedia entry that is a handsome mustache. Yes, it is. Uh, Here's the thing about him. So what is interesting about him is, first of all, he seems like you know after from the time he's in Alaska, he basically becomes like this fantastic administrator, and that's really you know they they that's really what they called him to do during the war during, during the first world war 
was to was to command this this regiment on this this basically rear guard uh, in the rear unit. And they needed it. They didn't need a combat leader. They needed an administrator. They needed someone who had led men, who had organized, who had maintained order, and that's what they needed. And then when when the task was given to him to go to to Russia, it was not to go lead them to beat the Bolsheviks. It was to evacuate the men in an orderly manner, uh, with the challenges of being in an icebound area. You know, to of of a logistics supply and logistics of. Removing all the men and all the, all their supplies and all everything, you know, in in primitive, brutal, bad weather conditions, and that was what he was an expert at. You know, he had done that for twenty years in Alaska. So I think that's just a remarkable example of of the sort of soldiering that, that was needed in the time of the the nineteenth and early twentieth century. It was very different than than soldiering today. Uh, you had to be kind of a jack of all trades and you had to be someone who, who was capable of lo- a lot of different things to be an excellent soldier. Yeah. Man, they made them tough back then. I will yeah. say about like that picture of, of him on Wikipedia is like I, you could just slap a, like a fake mustache on Jack Black and I think you'd be like halfway to a <laughs> biopic. Yeah. Yeah, so so I actually you know came, stumbled across this, you know, Wilds Richardson when I was just randomly reading about uh, the Allied intervention in the the, the Russian uh, the Russian uh, Revolution, which is you know, hey, these are the things Sean does when he's sitting on conference calls, bored out of his mind. Um, and so uh, you know, I was like, oh, that guy's from Hunt County, Texas. That's amazing. So you know, that's that's kind of the genesis of this story. And you know, that the people don't realize that that we actually did in a way fight a war against the Russians. In 1919, 1918, and 1919, but only a Texan could bring our boys home. Only a Texan, and he didn't live much longer. He only lived, you know, another ten years after that. You know, nine years after he retired. So he was he was worn out. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many of the great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I am Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texans. You love dramatic stories of war-torn Russia. So get out there and tell your friends about what we're doing. And leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support our show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.